0: craft beer radio coverage of savor an american craft beer and food experience salon number four beers and the bay how to enhance the bounty of the chesapeake bay with your favorite beers presented by hugh sisson brewer clipper city and todd wise executive chef phillips corporation sponsored by hunterton beverage company
1: this event and uh, along with Reyes Beverage Group anybody from Reyes in the room? We want to thank Reyes. They've been doing a t- tremendous job. You put on an event like this, beer service, delivery, distribution of that, real big challenge. So they've done great things. So, what's craft beer? What's a what's a craft brewer? Anybody know? It's a it's a um, it's almost a we see a hand up here. That's a good sign. You know, it's something that you. we hope you care about. Um, I just heard it tastes good, fuller-flavored beer. You know, you've heard many, many maybe terms that you've got um, going in your mind. But there's a specific definition for a craft brewer that at the Brewers Association we use for statistical purposes at least. And a craft brewer is a smaller producing, meaning they produce 2 million barrels of beer a year or less. They're independently owned, so they don't have a lot of advertising dollars, and they're traditionally practicing, which means they ferment mostly all malt. And, I mean, essentially, of the 1,449 breweries in in operation in 2007, 1,420 of the breweries are craft brewers, So that just goes to show you, you know, our beer world has been taken over by these smaller brew pubs or microbreweries or regional craft brewers. Those are the three sizes of craft brewers. We just want to make sure you understand that. And we want to thank you because when you support a craft brewer, when you support your local brewery, by the way, the average American lives within 10 miles of brewery, and you sure as heck can't say that about wineries these days. So, when you, when you go to your local brewery, you're supporting a huge part of the culture, and this culture gives jobs, and, um, uh, uh, charitable contributions, and a great, great, um, resource for local towns. The local breweries are like the local Chautauqua of towns. And so, you, we thank you for that support. I want to give you a little bit of, um, housekeeping announcement. In regards to the cupware, and for those of you, if you were in the first salon, forgive me for reviewing, um, but that cupware is odorless and tasteless. We use these in judging situations for the Great American Beer Festival, which the Brewers Association puts on, as well as the World Beer Cup. So please know that these cups will not impart any flavors to your experience here in tasting. Is anyone from Hunterdon Beverage here? Anybody? They are the supporters of this salon. They're from New Jersey. These little distributors, um, there's maybe not even 3,000 distributors in the United States. Many distributors nowadays are picking up craft brands, places like, pi- places like Hunterdon. And so we thank them for that. That's how these craft beers get to you, is those distributors. So that's a pretty big deal, and we thank them for their support. And so what I want to do right now is introduce Hugh. Hugh is, um, anyone um, go to his brew pub, Clipper City? Anybody been to Clipper City before? Great. Yay! And so actually, it looks like Hugh will have a lot of converts. Touring a brewery is a great way to experience the process. And I'm sure maybe Hugh can tell you the deal about hook up with tours. But Clipper City is, is a maverick in this area. The, the beer culture in D.C. is phenomenal. And why we have brought Savor, an American craft beer, beer experience, to D.C. and not another town right now like New York or some places is because we're in the seat of power, people. We know that you live in an amazing area with an amazing beer culture, and um, you know, spanning out to Baltimore, Clipper City has contributed and been a large part of that culture. So I'm real excited to see what Hugh's going to have to say to us, and let's uh, let's get going.
2: Okay. The, uh...
1: Thank
2: thank you for coming. Um, this is Todd Wise. He's the what's your exact title? Chef de cuisine.
3: Executive chef for Phillips. Uh,
2: for Phillips Foods. um, This was a a perfect person to partner with. Uh, We wanted to talk about uh, the Chesapeake Bay and the Bounty of the Bay and how it works with, obviously, craft beer. Um, I just gotta say, sort of on a little bit of a a sidebar here before we get started. This, being in this room today, or actually in the room out there today, is just amazingly cool. It really (laughs) blows my mind. Um, I've been in this business uh, making beer for, I don't know, 20-some 20, 20 years at this stage. Um, and it's very easy. to get You kind of get locked in your own bubble and you're paying attention to the things that you're making all the time. And uh, there's breadth and diversity there. You know, from my standpoint, you forget just how much diversity of style there is out there in beers. And so walking around this room today and seeing all these unbelievable products that all of my fellow brewers have brought and the wonderful food combinations that we're looking at. If you are, if you are a beer drinker, this is it, honey. It don't, it don't get no better than this. you got phenomenal foods and phenomenal beers, and we're all really learning more and more about the cool pairings that we can do. Um, some of you may know that, that uh, I also work a little bit on the dark side. I'm a wine reviewer on the NPR radio in the Baltimore market. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, I, 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 I kind of like the opportunity to work both sides of the streets, if you will. Um, and the cool thing about it is I think that there's a whole bunch of foods that go phenomenally well with wine. But I know there's a whole bunch of foods that will not work with wine worth a crap. And getting into this beer culture that we're really seeing developing these days is just enormously satisfying. So it's uh, And we're going to try to explore a few of those things today. Um, Obviously today we're talking about the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, My family's been in this greater uh, area for uh, almost uh, 200 years. It's pretty scary. I never thought we'd be around here this long. But uh, in any event, um, the Bay and and the the culinary culture of the Bay is very near and dear to my heart. We all know about some of the issues that we're facing there and... and, uh, Uh, But there's still a lot of really good food that comes popping out of there. And obviously the things that immediately come to mind are uh, uh, basically seafood. You've got your wonderful crabs. You've got your wonderful oysters. You've got your wonderful rockfish. But the thing that we tend to forget when we think about the bay is also is the fowl. Anybody here ever done goose shooting over on the eastern shore? That's a cool day. Duck shooting, duck hunting. So what we're going to try to focus on today is a couple of your more typical Bay Area foods, and then we're also going to look at the way some beers are going to pair with them. And Todd's going to get us started a little bit uh, about talking about the seafood issues and some of the foods from this area and what their flavor profiles are, and then we'll talk a little bit about beer flavors, and then we'll talk about how they're going to work together. And eventually, I do promise you, we will drink beer and taste food. Thank
3: so. you. Hello, everybody. Well, he's, he's been here for 200 years, his family. I've been in Three weeks. I just moved from St. Louis, where they make a little bit of beer. Um, So I just moved to Baltimore three weeks ago, so I'm getting. Different beer culture. Yeah, yeah, you know. They're they're fighting the big dog there, so. But anyway, um, a couple weeks ago when I first started with Phillips, I met you and he wanted me to put together some dishes that work with his beer. So you are definitely going to be my guinea pigs here because um, I really only tasted the beer four or five days ago, and I came up with these recipes really quick so hopefully they work um,
0: <laughs> they better work <laughs>
3: but I think it's very fascinating being here in this area I've worked in San Francisco in New York and I spent a lot of time in Miami and every region has its food and beer, culture um, and it's mostly been all focused on wine and now it's nice to see more focus on beer I was reading food and wine this issue uh, they just had a whole focus on uh, pairing food with Beer and, and, and challenged a wine guy and a beer guy, and it seemed like the beer guy won, so that's good. But anyway, with the, the plate that you have in front of you is a combination of blue and red crab. It's a very light salad, um, mixed with a little avocado, little fattiness. Uh, the wine that we paired this with- Beer, um, beer. The beer. Beer. Yeah, I'm so used to doing wine, right? Eh? Um, the raspberry uh, ale. It has um, you have the raspberry on the nose, but not a lot of sweetness to the wine. So that's why I've incorporated some raspberry into. Beer, beer, Todd. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on you. I'm, I'm gonna get fired. Anyway, the beer, the beer. I haven't even had any beer yet. That's I think that's. Oh, the that's problem. your problem. That's the problem. Anybody? This man needs a large, large beer here.
2: uh, One of the things that I I like about this area and one of the things that I think presents, we're going to start bringing you the Oxford Organic Raspberry Wheat Beer now. So we'll pour you some of this, and then you can hold on to this for a second when we get into specific tasting.
1: And Um, if everyone can take their cups and stack them out, that will help the servers be able to pour the beers more quickly.
2: One of the things that I find particularly interesting about working with seafood, and I think one of the reasons why it's so versatile, is that... Much seafood is relatively flavor neutral, which means that what's going to be a major impact on the overall flavor of the dish is going to be the seasoning and or the sauce that you use. And that sort of is where you have to focus in terms of, of where your pairings are going to come from. Uh, so... Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the great pairings that um, that we look at in the, in the greater Chesapeake Bay area is uh, steamed uh, crabs. Anybody here ever had uh, steamed crabs? In Baltimore, hopefully? Okay. That is a very kick-ass dish. Now, the wonderful thing about steamed crabs is that wonderful fresh crab meat has a slightly sweet, slightly nutty, very delicate, subtle flavor. And we Baltimoreans take this wonderful, delicate, sutter flavor, and we pour red pepper all over the top of it. (laughs) Now, if you want to taste crab, you need to follow what I call one of the basic principles of pairing beer and food, which is the cutting principle. Uh, You have to pair that with probably a, a lighter style lager and or a pale ale, but you don't want anything that's overly aromatic, in my humble opinion. Uh, and it has to have a firm hop crispness in the finish. If it gets too hoppy, the bitterness in the hops will accentuate the the heat from the pepper. If it's got the right amount of hoppiness, what happens is it's a structural thing where where you taste the food, you taste the crab, you taste the pepper, uh, and then you drink some of the beer and the wonderful, slightly sweet malt character from the beer complements the sweetness of the crab. And then you've got this wonderful, delicate, sort of crisp finish that cuts through and cleans up the pepper. And all of a sudden, you're still tasting crab when you're on number two, three, and four. If you've ever been to one of the big crab houses, these days, unfortunately, a dozen of Big Hummers are going to run you about 120 bucks a whack. So at that price point, you pretty much want to have a nice, well-matched beer. Has anybody here ever attempted successfully, key word, matching wine with steamed crabs? I didn't think so. So, um, another major food that we want to look at from the Chesapeake Bay area are oysters. Anybody here an oysters on the half-shell fan? Yeah, you know, it's just... It's a killer way to kill a Saturday afternoon, pounding down on a couple of plates of oysters. And I have done, uh, I've, I've attempted to find the right wine that really works, and they, they tell you that it's Sancerre or Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, guess what, guys? The best pairing with oysters on the half shell, in my humble opinion, is a dry Irish-style stout. It's just amazing. Why? Well, again, in my humble opinion, what you get is it's a contrasting characteristic. You have sort of the salinity of the oyster and the sort of slight fishy, seafoody character of the oyster, and then you've got this big chocolate dry coffee stout, and the two just seem like, at first pass, they're not going to work at all, and there's something about that combination that just is brilliant. So, again, there's wonderful things to experiment with. And the third issue that we look for when we're looking for pairing beers Uh, And foods uh, is going to be what I would call complementary flavors. Um, And what I like about the complementary aspects of it are you can find, um, sometimes you get all three elements working at one time. You get the complementary characteristics and the contrasting characteristics and the cutting characteristics. Uh, We are serving today out front our loose cannon uh, triple hopped IPA, uh, and we 're serving that, and I think the best pairing we 've got on the table and it 's killer and I would never have thought of it. One of my associates threw this out, and it just works unbelievable uh, is uh, is with a wonderful chocolate with a citrus creamy center now the ipa 's got this big citrus aroma and flavor on the palate, and then we match this with this wonderful uh, citrus flavor that comes through on the chocolate. And the two work together, and then the creamy center sort of coats your palate, and then the dryness from the hops comes through and cuts that and cleans it all up again. And you can bounce back between the, with, back and forth between the two. So those sort of complementary flavors are also things to look for. Now, in this particular dish, as you were saying, you're gonna have the nice, subtle crab characteristic, and you're gonna have some raspberry nuances from these little sauce that are on the side. We're serving this with a relatively new product, this is our Oxford organic raspberry wheat. We've recently converted our Oxford brand into a line of organic products. Um, go ahead. You can now eat. You can drink the beer. <laughs> Here. Cheers.
3: So with this crab dish, I didn't add a lot of spice to it. Like you says everyone dumps a lot of hot peppers on it. I let the crab speak for itself. A little raspberry essence on the plate, work with the beer. Um, there's a fresh goat cheese and a little toasted pecan that also works with this beer. On top is a, a micro licorice uh, basil, which gives a little accent, some, brings out some more flavors in, in the beer as well.
2: The beer, it's obviously, it's a subtle combination. Um, One other aspect that I think is critically important to successfully pairing beers to foods and also wines to foods is the question of scale. Does everybody know what I mean when I say scale? Well, basically, big to big, medium to medium, light to light. Crab is a relatively light flavor profile. And the wonderful little sauces that you blended into this are fairly light and subtle flavor profiles. If we match this to a big beer, we probably would be hugely unbalanced. I don't think it would work. Uh, By matching this to a much lighter style of beer, I think we get some success. The other thing is the slightly fruity characteristic that comes out in the nose and follows through on the palate uh, I think also contrasts nicely with sort of the creaminess of the flavor of what you blended into your crab. And the other thing that makes this, I think, work really well is that um, hops, as you are probably well aware, contribute, uh, among other things, bitterness to beer. Bitterness, I alluded to this earlier when I was talking about steam crabs. Bitterness is a really fun flavor component to play with, but you really have to match it appropriately to the food. If we went with a really bitter beer, none of this would work. You need to make sure that, again, scale to scale, you have a very subtle dryness in this beer. It's not an overly bitter beer. Um, And by doing a delicate flavor with a delicate flavor, you're going a much greater chance of success. Um, Anybody here a a huge fan of wonderfully super sharp, ultra-aged cheddar cheeses? Okay. One of the things. That makes, uh, uh, that I happen to love those kinds of cheeses. And that's a great example where you want to have a really bitter beer because you're getting complementary flavors. You've got this really sharp, dry edge that pops out right on the ass end of the cheddar cheese. And then you match that with a really wonderful, crisp, dry beer. And those flavors, in addition to cleansing your palate and bringing it back together, also just marry beautifully. So, again, when you're thinking about pairings, think about scale and think about matching similar characteristics. Um, and I think you'll have much greater uh, levels of success. Todd has now gone into the back, and he's going to work on this uh, phenomenal little duck dish that we're going to have, which is going to be the fowl side of the Chesapeake. And we're going to be matching that uh, with an imperial stout that we brew called Peg Leg. Um, if you ladies want to start to try to bring out some of the beer while he's working on the plating, then we can get you started on that. Does anybody have any questions? Um,
1: you know how you're not supposed to have acid foods with wine, like vinaigrette dressings and stuff? Uh-huh. How does acidity work with beer?
2: I think acidity works, is a little more successful with beer because of the hop bitterness component that tends to sort of, as I said, sort of cleanse your palate and set you up again. Uh, Acidity is always a little tricky. Um, the one thing that I, I really try to s- stress when I do any of these sorts of things is there is no absolute magic bullet. I have had many, many combinations that looked phenomenal on paper that just did not work when I did them, and I've had lots of combinations that just I, they defied my logic, and when we got there, they worked really well. So the one thing that, I, that I, is the gospel that I always preach on all of this, and I don't care what beverage you're, you're pairing, is experiment one two you are the own best judge if it works for you it works and don't ever let anybody pedantically come up to you and tell you that you're an idiot for pairing this with that because you know what if it works for you it's your money honey enjoy it it works for me yes sir I think you can do a lot of things that really hoppy IPAs go with. If you want to do like a seafood gumbo, I think that's a good combination with a big hoppy IPA. That's a really spicy dish. Uh, the reason that I don't su- uh, suggest a really hoppy IPA uh, with steamed crabs is frankly because the, the floral aromatics from the hop, I don't think pair well with the flavors of the pepper that you put on top of the crab. So I want the structural component. I don't want the aromatic component that makes sense? Yes, sir. I'm curious about your comments about scale. Uh, uh-huh.
0: Your comments about uh, the perfect match of oysters and stout. Right. Is that, is that in line with one another? Or well, that's are, why I'm, they're I'm they're
2: suggesting a dry Irish-style stout as opposed to an imperial stout. I think an imperial stout will still work. But a dry Irish-style, typically, I mean, I mean, what's the big one? The big one is Guinness, right? It's 3.5% on draft. It's actually not a big beer. It has a lot of rich flavors, but it's not a question of where the scale's out of balance. That make sense?
1: You want to explain what Imperial Stout is?
2: Imperial Stout is typically, it's a stout that's brewed above six to six to seven, maybe even eight to nine percent alcohol by volume. When you brew a beer that's of that alcohol strength, the one you're about to have is eight percent, you use a tremendous amount of, of malted barley. That's going to intensify the flavor profile and make it richer. So you need to go to a bigger food to pair successfully with a bigger stout. They'll say
0: the dry stout with the oysters is in line with the, the scale?
2: Yeah, I do. That's what I'm saying. I mean, if, that's why I'm specifically saying dry stout as opposed to a big, sweeter style. There were some more questions.
1: Other questions? We have microphone in the back, too.
2: Okay, well, I, I've got a cover for Todd since he's madly plating. So I'll tell you a little bit about this particular Imperial Stout, uh, and then we'll hopefully see how this will work with these particular dishes. Um, this is our Peg Leg Imperial Stout. Uh, this is an 8% beer. Uh, we did, This is part of my Heavy Seas brand, which is our big stuff. Um, what I focused on here was uh, the whole concept of balance in a big beer. Um, We've done this much more in the English style as opposed to the West Coast style. Does everybody here know the difference? West Coast Imperial Stouts tend to be even more alcoholic, and they all tend to be uh, wonderfully hopped and very rich and very aggressive beers. I like them a lot. I just don't happen to think that they're as food friendly in many contexts as the English style, which I happen to find softer, rounder, and I think a lot more drinkable. we're going to pair this, as soon as Todd gets finished doing his stuff, uh, with a wonderful... It's a Springfield duck, uh, and it's going to be rolled in sort of a coffee and a chocolate piece with a nice savory that should come in and should make a really interesting combination here. Just to sort of expound on this a little bit, uh, what you should notice when you taste the stout... Anybody getting any kind of dark chocolate flavors? Anybody get any coffee flavors? What are we doing with the duck? Coffee and chocolate. Okay, now the other thing that's cool about the duck is the duck is a relatively dense, heavy meat. So, to go back to what you were talking about earlier, sir, is that the scale again should work really well. This is a rich meat, this is a rich beer. Um, this is also, even though this is a relatively big stout, it's got a nice dry finish. So, again, it should set up your palate uh, for successive, uh, you know. Successive. I don't speak much. Uh, successive bites and combinations just go down. The perfect combinations, in my mind, are the ones where you are able to, you, you, you try the food, the flavors of the food, coat the palate. You try the, uh, the beverage, and the, the beverage complements or does other kinds of magic. And then ultimately, after you swallow it, it's almost like you've returned to ground zero. It's like you're, you're fresh to start this process all over again. That's what really, you know, uh, uh, gets me going when I'm looking at wonderful uh, combinations. So, I'll, does anybody know how close he is on bringing this out? He shoot the duck, right? <laughs> More beer. We can probably do that too. He yeah, shoot the duck. Yes, ma'am. Any questions? Any questions?
1: What's your bestseller?
2: Uh, our best-selling beer is in our heavy seas brand. It's called uh, Loose Cannon, and that's the one we have out front. Uh, we we do uh, probably three times that's we do that's three to one to our next best-selling product. Um, although the uh, the peg leg is is uh, working out quite nicely in, in the rear end, and we're we're very optimistic that this new line of organic products is going to make a, a really nice uh, uh, segue into the market. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Well, we've created, we've turned our Oxford brand into a line of organic beers, which means that they were following slight modifications in the actual brewing process, and we're using uh, organic uh, malts and hops to produce the beers. Uh, We're certified by the Maryland Department of Agriculture. Any place that's making organic products has to get uh, uh, certification. It's typically through your local Department of Agriculture. And if it's going to be called uh, organic, it has to be a minimum of 95% organic uh, ingredients. We got. That's a really interesting question. Did everybody get that one? Particular varieties of hops that work well for organic farmers? Um, the answer to that is I have no idea. Most of the organic hops that are produced in this, uh, in the world, well. <laughs> Most of them uh, are are coming out of New Zealand. Uh, We just sourced some from Germany. Uh, So uh, you know, you kind of take what you're gonna what you're gonna get. There's very, very small allotments of organic hops available in the market. In the Yakima Valley. Yeah,
1: the Yakima Valley. They're not. They're not producing organic hops? Uh, they may be.
2: We just haven't seen them yet. But we're, we're relatively new in this game. Uh, you could probably get more information on that subject if you had a chat with Martin Wolliver who's out front, who's been probably one of the early entrants in the organic area. He could probably tell you more than I.
1: We got a question in the back?
2: Yes, ma'am.
0: I was having a chat with one of your reps a couple of weeks ago about uh, the naming convention for some of your beers. Uh, if you can, and I know it's not directly a beer itself right. a question, but can you give me kind of the Reader's Digest version of what's involved in actually coming up with the names for coming your Coming up beers? with the names for the beers? Because really I know that you've got to like, approve it by uh, the state, particularly like the Holy Sheet. And Holy the, Sheet, that yeah. was a great name for a beer, wasn't it? Oh, loved it. But yeah. again, apparently it took quite a while to get it pushed through the uh, system.
2: Actually, that one went through pretty easy. Really? The, the Hang 10 was the tough one. Uh, hang 10 was difficult The Hang 10 is, is, our, is our, uh, our summer beer in the Heavy Seas line uh, which is uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wheat beer, it's a hefeweizen. of course it's in the Heavy Seas line so it's a 10% hefeweizen and Doppelbach so it's a big wheat beer um, we wanted to call it Hang 10 uh, because it's 10% ABV and the feds don't allow that, you can't put the alcoholic level of the product in the name so then we had, to, so we had to take the number 10 out, and they allowed us to spell the word 10. And I, I was able to, and, and the, the, the guy we were working with was really trying to, he's a really good guy, and he was trying to make it out. So because the, the, the whole brand is nautically themed, and hang 10 is a surfing term, we were able to get that through. So uh, what's In general, what's involved? Um, uh, there's a couple of processes. One usually involves several beers uh, and waking up at 3.30 in the morning with a Eureka. That's, uh, that's where most of the names have come from, frankly. Uh, why do you have to do that? That's right. That's pretty much it. It's because they said, you have to do this. And hey, look—you do not want to get me started on this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well that, that's true. I mean, for the most part, for the most part, the regulatory agencies that cover this industry uh, work really hard to be good partners. Uh, there's a few areas where I mean, these, these people have a job to do. Uh, and most of them really try to find ways to allow you to do what you want to do uh, there 's always going to be a fly in the ointment, uh, and but we find those in all aspects of the business there 's always a couple of retailers in every area who are absolutely jerks there 's always somebody at the distributor who is a jerk there 's probably somebody on my staff who is a jerk i 'm sure people have said that about me. So you know what poop occurs so. yes, sir.
0: I mean, where you ship your beer to, how do you decide that?
2: How do we decide how far we're going to distribute? Uh, There's a whole bunch of considerations there. One is certainly economics. Um, You you want your product to end up on a retail shelf at a specific price point. This is the way we work. And we have to factor in freight costs, excise taxes, et cetera. And so you back off from there and then say, can I sell this product profitably at this price point? And if the answer is yes, then you, consider, then you go on and consider it a little further. The second thing is how much support am I going to need to supply in the market and can I afford to do that? What we don't like to do is just pack up product, put it on the back of a truck, send it away, and, you know, hope and pray that it's going to go away. So a lot of it has to do with just trying to pay attention to the economics and the support factors. Um, we don't sell anything uh, west of the Mississippi i don 't anticipate that happening anytime soon, especially in current gas pricing circumstances uh, and I just i just don 't uh, we 're really not focused on adding a whole lot more territory at this stage in the game we 're more focused on how do we how do we do a good job with where we already are and i 've met there 's a whole lot of breweries that are looking at exactly the same things that, that we are this the, the wonderful growth that the craft beer segment of the industry had in the last four or five years. Uh, is attributable to the user. you folks sitting in this room. Thank you very much for your business. But it's also, I think, based on the fact that most of the people who are in this industry really do care about trying to support the products and make sure that there's quality on the shelf so that when you go walking into the store, there's something, something that's representative of a brewery on that store shelf. You can't do that if you're just willing to put something on the back of a truck and wave bye-bye. I'm sorry? Now the ingredients don't affect that for me. I, I mean, I can't say that there aren't other people who might have those, but the ingredients don't affect it. It's more a question of can we support it properly, and if we're trying to hit a certain retail price point, can that be done and still make money? I mean, it is a business. I mean, we all are very passionate about the products, but it is a business. If we're not operating profitably, guess what? You don't get to drink these beers next week. Okay, I'll take one more question, then I think Todd will be ready.
0: Two things, uh, how did you get into the business of selling chicken wing sauce i hadn 't heard that one <laughs> and, and can you talk a bit about how you developed this uh, Cabot collaboration
2: uh, sure the, uh, the, the The chicken wing sauce um, it, frankly is uh, we do a lot of festivals it 's nice to have something other than t shirts and glassware to sell at festivals, you know. Uh, Oh, the beer soap is really cool stuff. You should come to the brewery. You should buy a cake of the beer soap, which is made with beer, malt, and hops. It's phenomenal stuff. It's very cool. And we sell quite a bit of it. Uh, In terms of – I'm sorry, what was the second part of the question? How did you get involved with Cabot? Oh, the Cabot cheddar uh, piece that you guys have on the table. Um, Cabot went on a program a couple of years ago where they were trying to sort of pick in a number of different areas – uh, a brewery to pair with to do, that had a broad enough portfolio to pair with to, to showcase a number of their cheeses. We were thrilled to have the opportunity to work with them. One of my associates, Tom Chizowskis, um worked with uh, Beverly at Cabot and did, and did those pairings. They work unbelievably well. Um, I did a presentation with them for the first time about two years ago, and I was flying a little blind because I hadn't actually been involved, and it worked really well. We're, we're always looking for ways to pair with uh, quality uh, food uh, food vendors and food purveyors to to find other ways of, of showcasing both their product and our product. So, so we're, we're pretty happy with that. Todd, okay. tell them about the duck.
3: Slice the duck. Well, having tasted this beer... You definitely can taste the coffee and the um, chocolate flavors. So I came up with a dish, and I made a, a dry rub, cocoa powder, uh, espresso coffee, a touch of sugar, and salt and pepper. And I just dust the duck breast with that, pan sear it. Obviously, you know, I had to come from Baltimore. We don't have any stoves here. I'd like to have it a little bit crispier, but make do with what you have. And um, then I came up with a mango and apricot chutney that goes with that I had a little heat with uh, poblano peppers and fresh citrus I think works well with the duck and it's just garnished with no sauce just simple almost like a dry dry rib but dry duck I like to serve the duck on the pink side so you're not a big fan of that but um, not a big fan of that you might be SOL a little bit <laughs> yeah you could you come back in the kitchen and get all the nubs, all the ends.
2: <laughs> well, I thought it was a, I think it was a good combination.
3: Yeah, I think it's a great beer. I mean, it's fantastic. Like I said, having just tasted these, these beers, I was very impressed with this one especially. And it's, it's a fun beer to cook with. Um, works, I think, well with a lot of different types of food. It holds up to, I think, almost anything.
2: The, uh, I'm assuming you've now all tasted the duck. You've all tasted the beer. I love working with people who know how to really cook food. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, does the combination work for you? Okay, you can stay. Uh, the uh, now it works. It works for me too. I think it achieved one of the things that I was looking for, which is you know the the flavors after you taste the beer clean right up, and then you can go on to the next sort of bouncing back and forth and continue. To explore these things together. Um, okay, that's kind of all we're going to do from the from the formal part here. Um, you know, we we were going to originally do four pairings, but it just became a little bit too difficult with the logistics that uh, that we that I think we're going to be able to overcome in the future. I know I had a conversation with uh, the young lady up front because we were originally going to do four food and beer pairings, but they wouldn't wouldn't work out. So. Um, but I'd be more than happy to take more questions. And Todd, if you've got uh, some specific questions on, on the food combinations and how to put some things together, we can take those as well. Anybody?
1: Also, a big tribute to Phillips, who donated yes. all the food, donated and prepared. Thank you. You have a question?
2: All of you who don't want to eat the crab, just, just leave it there. It'll happen.
0: It was interesting to, uh, to see that you sat down with a representative from Phillips to kind of map out dishes to pair with the beer. How receptive is the broader Baltimore restaurant community to craft beer, and to pairing craft beer with food? Uh,
2: Baltimore is getting better. Um, it's not the... It, it, D.C. is probably an overall more sophisticated craft beer market than Baltimore is. Having said that, There's a whole lot of players in the on-premise segment in the Baltimore area now who are are getting it. Uh, So I really anticipate that there's going to be a a lot of growth, uh, not only in the the quality of the selections of beers that you're going to find, but we're working with many more restaurants in terms of beer dinners and beer pairings, and I think you're going to see a lot of really cool stuff happening. So it's coming. It's coming. But we're seeing that all over the country. Uh, I I mean, some, some markets seem to have gotten it, Gotten it a little earlier. Boston, Philadelphia, yes. Uh, D.C. significantly after Philly, but definitely D.C. is picking it up. Baltimore is coming right behind. So I think, I think things look good for the future.
1: And, Hugh, if I can jump in, the way they get it is by demand. So right. when you don't see your favorite beers on the menu, your local beers, you ask why aren't they on the menu. So that's, that's where you all can help make it happen. Where's the next question? Go ahead. I'm not sure I think that um, Baltimore is a lesser brewing. No, I'm not saying
2: it's a, it's a lesser brewing community. I guess what I'm saying is it's um, the, I, what am I saying?
1: I mean, We take bike rides to go to Baltimore for beer.
2: No, it's a good beer town, but I'm talking about the beer cuisine aspect of it. You've yeah, had, you you got girls, a lot of good sorry. bars, and yeah. more of the restaurants now are beginning to figure out. I mean, see, the restaurants basically were like a whole lot of other places. You know, you got to a certain qualitative level, and, you, you know, you spent all your time and energy trying to teach your staff how to sell wine. Well, now they're beginning to figure out, hey, you know, we can differentiate ourselves from our competitors, and we can speak two languages, the, other, the second one being beer, and gosh darn, there are people out there who want to show up. So what we're beginning to see in Baltimore, which is only slightly lagging behind, is restaurants that speak two languages. They speak wine and beer. And that's what I was getting to. Perhaps I wasn't clear.
1: Yeah, it didn't come across to me.
2: Sorry about that. I have been known to make
3: mistakes.
1: One in the back there.
0: Um, With our country being the way we are in America, the average restaurant, um, most of the foods that we're talking about today are actually being covered up As oysters, one of the most popular ways of oysters is a Rockefeller. Right. A lot of fat added to it. Uh, Scallops. A lot of places are adding bacon to it. Um, What was the best way to deal with the fact that we're adding fats to a food that uh, is going to change the flavor and we're adding a smoky flavor to um, uh, food that might be a lot lighter originally? Um, Is there a way to uh, maybe pair two beers or maybe to... uh, minimize the the harshness that the added foods to your original product i'm not
2: really sure i'm understanding the question if you were saying because which i alluded to earlier the fact that a lot of these seafoods are mild flavors and so they're heavily affected by the cooking circumstances and the spicing and the sauces and yes can you do multiple beers with them yeah sometimes it's actually really cool to do two or three different beers with them because you'll get different different combinations will accent certain things I'm not sure I got your question. Did I answer you?
0: Um, Sort of. I guess it was more of a, do we need to strive towards uh, teaching the communities that, you know, adding bacon to scallops isn't always a good thing or adding, you know, tons of cream to an oyster, whereas, um, you know, different beers would help along the way as far as the smokinesses I'm just
2: I'm just a fan of creativity and diversity. And I think that anything that you do that makes somebody excited about uh, what's on their plate and what's in their glass is absolutely right on. Uh, so whatever combination you want to work with works works for me. Todd, do you want to throw in on, on any of that?
3: Yeah, I think, you know, oysters, Rockefeller, you say there's a lot of fat or things added to types of food. There's many different types of cuisine, and I think that, you know, we, we try to— reach a vast audience. I think what's exciting about this is that, you know, there's so many different types of beers on the market now that no matter, no matter what you're eating, you could find a beer that works well with it. right here? Oh, sorry, it's completely off topic, but you, uh, it was mentioned that you do wine commentary for an NPR show out of Baltimore. Uh-huh. What uh,
2: show is that, just out of curiosity? It's just called Cellar Notes. It's a little five minute piece that drops in during the All Things Considered broadcast. Yeah. Rob? Um uh, crabs. Uh huh. crabs. Right. Crab soup. Crab soup. Crab cake. Crab cake. The holy trinity. The holy trinity. Um, <laughs> crab cake obviously there's a huge diversity of opinion on exactly what makes the perfect crab cake. I what? Stonies. <laughs> I happen to think that um, that a, a well-made crab cake has got a lot of savory flavor, and so I don't think a super light beer is the way to go. I think you want to go something mid-palate, a Meritzen or a nice amber beer. Um, I don't think you want to go too bitter, but you still need that crispness. That's my opinion. Chef?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, like I was saying, there's so many different, d- diverse beers on the market now. Um, I mean, just having to start working for Phillips, I mean, there's different styles of crab cakes that are served in our restaurants, you know, depending on the region. Um, There's an Ocean City style. There's a Chesapeake style. And, you know, coming from New York and Miami, we make crab cakes completely different in each area. So I think it's a total regional um, thing, and I think beer is also regional. But when, when you talk about just a single food item being paired with beer, it all depends on where that food item is being prepared regionally.
0: What about soft crabs, though?
3: You know, soft shell crabs to me the best way are just fried on toast with tartar sauce. You know, that's what I grew up eating. You know, I grew up on Freeport, Long Island. You know, so.
2: And then,
0: what do you pair them with?
2: I'm still going with with a nice amber lager, or sort of a mid mid palate beer because, again, back to the thing we were talking about scale to scale. I think you need that slight sweetness from the malt to set up the, the richer flavors. Uh, fried foods is a general way of uh, thinking. I think requires something sort of mid palate in terms of overall sweetness and and, uh, and flavor profile. No pills on crab then. I wouldn't do pills with. I do pills with steamed crabs. I wouldn't do pills with with a cra- with a crab cake or uh, or a, or a, uh, a soft shell crab. I don't think that's a good combination. I think I think the bitterness would overpower the flavor. Yes, sir. All the way in the back.
0: Has the availability of the hops changed your thinking in terms of the recipes that you have traditionally made, or tra- or recipes that you're considering
2: making? Um, the answer to that is yeah. Um, the availability of hops. It, it, I don't think there's a brewer in the country right now that's not kind of looking at it and saying, okay, how do we work more efficiently? How do we how do we make sure that we're going to have adequate supplies of hops for next year and the year after that? Um, I think everybody's thinking about that. Uh, and, and the good thing is is that it may it – may, uh, the American craft beer movement has been in love with hops. And I happen to like some really hoppy beers, but most of the beers that we make are not hop monsters. And I think it would be a good thing if we get more of the American market that begins to understand that there's some killer styles out there that are not pure hop bombs. Uh, and economically, we may be forced to do that anyway.
0: Have you had to discontinue any recipes?
2: No. No, we have not had to make any changes thus far.
1: We have a question right here. Uh-huh.
3: Uh, speaking of killer styles, can you say something about barley wines and what you're trying to do with your below decks in particular?
2: Uh, sure. Um, well, barley wines, obviously, it's an English-style beer that was designed originally to sort of create a beer that was a similar strength as a wine. Uh, ours is 10%. Again, we've chosen to take the English as opposed to the West Coast approach not because I think it's better, but because, you know what, there's a whole bunch of guys that did the West Coast approach really well, and we just wanted to go in a different direction. Um, to my mind, I think that uh, just the same similar thought process I have with the stouts, it's a malt-driven style. I don't think it's a hop-driven style. So we've tried to focus on having tremendous malt complexity. What I like about the malt-driven styles as opposed to the hop-driven styles is that they age well. Uh, On the barley wine, I happen to think our barley wine after a year in the bottle is just killer. Uh, It's good when it comes out, but you give it 12 months in the bottle, and it's where I want it. Question? What's my favorite food pairing for the hang ten? That's really interesting. Uh, It's got a slight – that's our Hefeweitz and Doppelbach. It's got a slight smoky component to it. So I think you can do some really interesting things with sort of like Belgian salads where you've got sort of a fruit vinaigrette kind of dressing with some crumbled bacon on the top and some egg. That's just really cool. Somebody was asking earlier about sort of the vinegar thing. I think that the, the spicy caramel component in the, in the Hefeweizen actually works pretty well as long as you don't kill it with the vinaigrette. Uh, but that smoky component there works really well. You can also do something with a mild Ralph beer that would work well that way. Question here? Pretty much same question, but with the red sky at night, it's really cool you guys do a Sasson. There's not a lot of them domestically, um, right.
3: And like food pairing-wise. And, two, uh, how did you all come up with doing that? Because there really isn't any other ones I've seen local.
2: Uh, um, a lot of the ways we, we develop products are um, I just sit down with my brewing staff and say, okay, the Microsoft question, what do we want to do today? Uh, and uh, I think by giving them tremendous latitude, uh, we have a tremendous amount of fun, and we do things that, that we enjoy doing. Um, that's a lighter style beer. So, again, back to the scale issue, you want to move with probably lighter foods. I happen to think that will work really well with certain kinds of, uh, of lighter cheeses, not necessarily the cream varieties, but something like... Uh, uh, the Leerdamers or the Swiss varieties work really well with that. That's a perfect food uh, pairing with fondue, for example, uh, especially if you do some fruit fondue mixed with the cheese. Okay. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Well, if you want to come into the beer industry, there's a program at UC Davis. There's a program at the Siebel Institute. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to forget one or two right now. Our brewers are mostly trained in-house. Uh, they're typically people that were home brewers. Our brewmaster uh, is a guy named Ernesto Egot. He was the brewmaster at San Miguel in the Philippines for about ten years. So he's a certified card-carrying, real-deal guy. So we're pretty fortunate because he can, he can take people and really elevate them to a high skill set uh, without shipping them out to other programs. I, you know, I'm, I used to be in the restaurant business, and I had a rule of thumb in the restaurant business that I never hired anybody straight out of culinary school because they knew how to do a lot of good stuff, but they weren't used to dealing with a line with 50 lunch tickets hanging on it. Uh, and I kind of feel the same way about, about brewers. It's nice to have the formal education, but we can give you that. Uh, you need to learn real-world conditions, and uh, there's no way to learn them other than just doing it. So home, you got to have somebody who's got the stuff.
1: Home brewing is a great way to get to know your beer styles, and BJCP.org. Yep. I'm a recognized beer judge. Great way to study your beer styles. That's the Beer Judge Certification Program, and that's very accessible. You don't have to um, pay to study those styles, and, and then eventually you can try and take a test.
2: Okay mm-hmm. Thank you guys for coming. Pretty fantastic.
1: Thank you. Thank you both.
0: Thanks, and we hope you enjoyed this Craft Beer Radio coverage of Savor. To find more, visit www.craftbeerradio.com slash Savor. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit www.craftbeerradio.com for more details.